Hey everyone, I am Meredith Walborn. I'm a junior here at SMU, majoring in creative advertising, journalism, and French. I've had the honor of having Willie Baronet as my professor a couple times over my time at SMU. He is the Stan Richards Professor in Creative Advertising for Tamerlan Advertising Institute, the creator of We Are All Homeless, a long-term art project to raise awareness and compassion around homelessness, and the former owner and creative director of Group Baronet, a Dallas advertising agency. Thank you so much for coming to talk to me today. Today, Willie. Uh, thanks for having me. So, share with the listeners where you grew up and signs that you were destined for a life of creativity. <laughs> I grew up in Lafayette, Louisiana, part of a large Cajun family. I was the oldest of eight, and the earliest sign for me that I think I was destined for something in creativity was that I drew all the time as a little boy. In fact, a drawing I did of Snoopy when I was seven years old, my mom kept in her purse well into my adulthood. Um, My family didn't come from an art kind of background, so I was really the only one of my family that did lots of drawing. But that was really the the first inkling I had that creativity was something I was interested in. Great. Um, So you graduated in 1982 from the University of Southwestern Louisiana, um, now the University of Louisiana at Lafayette. What was your primary mission in life at that point? To get a job. I came (laughs) out of school with a degree in advertising design, and I immediately started working at a local agency in Lafayette, and it wasn't long before I was being coaxed by some of my classmates to move to the big city of Dallas, Texas, and uh, this was really uh, the big move of my life, leaving Lafayette and coming to Dallas. When did you form Group Baronet, and what was your goal for that? The agency started in 1992, and after working at a number of different firms here in Dallas, some design firms, some ad agencies. It was just my time to start a company. I really wanted to see if I could run a company. I started off having a partner at the time, and we had one employee and a couple of clients. And our goal was to make good work and to try to compete with the other firms in Dallas. Who were some of your most memorable clients, and why did they stand out? Maybe a certain campaign or something like that? A number of campaigns and clients really stood out. We had uh, the Dallas Convention and Visitors Bureau as a client for many years, and so crafting the image of the city uh, back then was quite an honor for us. Uh, we did a lot of work for Motorola, uh, based in the the semiconductor vis- division in Austin, Texas, and probably did our largest single project for them. In fact, uh, our client, Andy Spiegel, is one of my dear friends to this day and uh, really challenged us in the early days of the internet. We were doing pioneering work in Flash and other programs back then. Um, But yeah, we had lots of really good clients over the years. You've been featured regularly for your advertising and design work, along with receiving numerous medals and awards. Which one meant the most to you and why? I would say that the chance in 19... 99 to judge the communication arts uh, annual was probably the biggest honor at the time. I had, I really thought it was a prank phone call when I first (laughs) got that call and thought my friends were playing a joke on me. But that, to judge the peer, you know, my peers around the country and even outside of the country, 
uh, was probably the biggest honor. And I'd say the second one, and it's a very close one, was I was named an AIGA Design Fellow um, a few years back. And that's probably the most crying I've ever done during a talk was accepting that award. Um, it was, uh, th it was and that was more local. My local peers were all there and people I'd known for a couple of decades. So it was really powerful. So tell us about the passion and mission behind your We Are All Homeless project. Why is this so important to you? You know, this project began 26 years ago, and it wasn't a conscious thing at the time. I started buying homeless signs from people on the streets. And in the beginning, I did it really just because I felt awkward, like a lot of people do when I came across somebody at a street corner. And for 15 years or so, I was just buying signs. I didn't really have a clear idea of where that was going to lead. I sold my agency in 2006 and went to grad school in 2008. And it was while I was there studying art, um, had some professors at the time who really inspired me to explore this. I coined the name We Are All Homeless at that time and established the URL and began to develop different sorts of ways to express art using these signs, uh, which took lots of different forms early on. I did not really see myself as any kind of activist or anything like that until I did my first TEDx talk about this in 2012. And I had people afterwards telling me, you realize you're an activist and you're starting a movement. And I it's like it took me a while before that to really sink into my head. Since then, it has turned into a crazy viral thing that I've been doing now nonstop um, in earnest for 10 years. And I've gotten to do art exhibits all across the country and in the UK. I've spoken to organizations and groups and schools all over the place. And it has just, it's like my second vocation. I, um, I feel like I've learned so much about homelessness and about the stories for all, all these people that I've interviewed over the years. You know, we made a documentary about this in 2016 called Signs of Humanity and traveled across the country buying signs. So it's been this sort of accidental um, path that I'm on that is now really a really important part of my life. And you know this, you've volunteered at a couple of workshops. You have um, helped some of the students answer the question, what is home? You've helped me do installations of the signs. So for me, this is just, it's turned into a part of my life that I can't imagine not doing anymore. Um, but it was kind of an accident. <laughs> Can you um, explain a little bit of the importance of the trek that you went on um, during your road trip and creating the Signs of Humanity documentary um, and the exposure that you got from that documentary as well? Yeah, so it really started off back to that, you know, TED, TEDx talk in 2012. I mentioned on stage that I thought it would be a cool idea to travel across the country buying signs. And then I realized, wow, that's now online and I probably ought to do it since I said I should do it. And I, in 2014, began to plan this trip. Um, I called my good friend Tim, and we started to plan the journey. And through this process, we did an Indiegogo fundraising campaign um, to help raise money for this trip. 
And our idea at the time was to do a really short, just a short video about the traveling across the country. In that process, as we were soliciting people to help us, a friend of mine, um, David Kiger, who is uh, CEO of Worldwide Express, contacted me and said that he was interested in really donating more money and having us do a feature-length documentary. I didn't realize that he was into film and so forth, but it turned into a real live film shoot. We hired two additional people, um, Eamon and Olivia, who traveled across the country with us. Uh, One was a filmmaker, one was a producer. Uh, My good friend Judy Gass started helping us with producing as well. And before we knew it, we had a full-on film shoot happening, guerrilla style for sure, (laughs) because we did not know what we were doing in a lot of respects. Um, But yeah, that was the basis of this uh, trip across the country. Since the release of it, and, you know, it's been in eight film festivals and and um, the whole process of that, and even halfway across the country, we started to get crazy amounts of exposure on various media. Uh, NPR contacted us about doing a thing on All Things Considered, and um, there were articles. There was one, I think, written in Minneapolis, St. Paul, that was picked up by the Associated Press, that turned into this, um, it gave us a lot of exposure. And so what happened after that is a few videos were produced about this project that ended up um, getting crazy exposure. One of them has almost six and a half million views, and it just continues to, um, I think it's those kinds of Uh, social media exposure that has just caused people from around the world to contact me. And that's what's created so many of these opportunities. So I know a lot of people when they pass um, people who are homeless on the streets with signs, they feel rather uncomfortable. Um, What do you see when you pass these people? Like these signs represent lives and which ones stand out to you the most? So it's I've I've noticed how that's changed for me over the years. I too was uncomfortable. I used to look away, not sure how to help or if I was helping. Now I see a person with a sign and I see it as a chance to meet a new person. I see it as a chance to engage and to let that person know that they are being seen as well. I, you know, as an artist, I think there's a part of me that is genuinely attracted to these artifacts, these pieces of cardboard or styrofoam or whatever it happens to be. I'm interested in the way the lettering is done, the way the words are spelled, the drawings on the signs. But what I've come to value so much is the fact that if there's time, if traffic lights allow and so forth, I get to have a conversation and learn a little bit about that story. I get to see their reaction. I get to make a human connection. And, you know, in the beginning, I was scared. I didn't know what, I didn't really know anything about people on the street holding a sign. And Mm -hmm. they were different than me, or at least I thought they were. And one of the things that I've said many times is, I used to think this was us and them. And now I realize it's just us. Every single time I get a sign, I have these conversations with people. And you ask which ones really stood out. I could talk about that for hours. Mm -hmm. Um, Eddie's certainly stood out. Um, His sign said, something to ponder. What if God occasionally visits Earth disguised as a homeless person, checking to see how charitable we are? 
completely hypothetical, of course. <laughs> so that was Eddie's son. Uh, but I could tell you stories. There was a man in Las Vegas named Michael. His sign just said spare change. But it was the pain in the lettering on that sign that really stood out to mm-hmm. me. I bought a sign in, uh, in Baltimore from a young woman named Ellie who was 17 at the time. She was Romanian. She spoke five languages. And that stood out to me at how intelligent and amazing she was. And yet her and her family couldn't get asylum and they were on the streets. I've talked to um, people missing limbs. I've talked to people who had trouble speaking. Um, I bought a sign from a man in New York City who was missing both of his legs and couldn't talk. And I, like I said, I could go on and on about the stories, but it's, um, for me, their, their faces, their voices, um, our conversations stand out. And, and there are hundreds of them that I remember vividly. Mm-hmm. I know from working with you at different schools on the project that a lot of kids in particular ask you, um, you know, or say that they feel uncomfortable either giving money or things like that. How can just the average person help? Well, I tell people that at the very base level, if you can make eye contact and smile, I have heard from so many people on the streets how important that human contact is. So that to me is free, and you can do that even if your windows roll up and you, you feel afraid. That's still something that I think anybody can do. Beyond that, I think if you're called to give money or clothing or water bottle or food or anything that you happen to be that you happen to have and are willing to hand out, that's also good. People can volunteer at shelters. People can go buy two sandwiches and go sit down and have a conversation with somebody on the street. There's a lot of ways people can engage. And what I try to get my friends, the housed, uh, to realize is that it doesn't matter. Whatever you do is good. And feeling guilty about what you don't do serves nobody. So engage, do whatever you're called to do, and you know, lighten up on yourself as much as possible because I feel the more we learn to love ourselves, that really does empower us to love other people. And, um, and there are times I don't have time. I, don't, I may ha- not have money or time to stop and connect with somebody, and so I'll smile and wave. But, you know, my deal is I buy a lot of signs. So that's, that's my default. <laughs> I remember you showing me a media outlet, I think in Germany recently, who did like a social news story about you. Um, You've gotten a lot of major national and international exposure. Why is getting the word out on your work from creativity to leadership to your homeless project so important to you? I think one of the things that I have discovered having done this is this awareness building is an unintended consequence of this entire project. I, you know, I guess what I would say is that I didn't start out feeling quite so clear and, and, and passionate about this project. But what happened over time is that now I realize this project is about starting conversations, changing people's minds, changing people's hearts, trying to get people to see each other as human beings. And for me, that has been the focus of this project. 
So what has been the most memorable experience for you throughout this entire um, journey, I guess, with We Are All Homeless? Well, the, by far the most powerful piece is one that's happened recently. I, for a lot of reasons, have done a number of exhibits and uh, research projects in Philadelphia. I met a guy named Eddie Dunn there when I was traveling across the country on the documentary. And Eddie Dunn have, and I have become connected. He actually did a TEDx talk with me. Uh, we connected two years after I bought his sign, mainly because I had a picture of his sign on the website, and he saw it and contacted me. He is a recovering heroin addict. He went to jail to get sober, is now living an, a completely different life, reconnected with his son and daughter, and he has a grandson. Eddie became part of all of these experiences that were happening in Philadelphia, in panel discussions at the University of Pennsylvania, at Jefferson University. And one of the most recent exhibits was at Jefferson University. Two people went to that exhibit who happened to be part of a congregation of a Catholic church in Flowertown, Pennsylvania, called St. Miriam Parish. So I got contacted not that long ago by, well, it's, it was at the beginning of this year, by Father Jim, is who I, how I now refer to him, <laughs> Father James St. George Monsignor, and he asked me if I would be willing to do an exhibit at their church around Lent. I told him that, yes, I would, and we started immediately talking about our mothers. My mom passed away about 15 years ago, and she never really got to see this project at all. And he t so I told him that, you know, if my mom's looking down on this, I know that she's probably smiling and just um, thinking, wow, you're actually talking to a priest right now, and you're about to do an exhibit at a Catholic church. Because um, I quit being Catholic when I was about 17, and so I think I was, that was disappointing to my mom. The Father Jim tells me that, he, that his mom, who was incredibly generous, is the reason he became a priest. And so we traded these mom stories early on. Fast forward to I do the exhibit, and at the very end of the exhibit, I go and do a presentation, and Eddie comes and joins us on the panel, Rosie Frasso, who did the research projects at those other universities, she joined us. And at the very end of this exhibit, after I'd taken all the signs down, Father Jim took me out to the graveyard, which is um, right outside the church, and told me that they had three acres of property that they had been trying to figure out what to do with. And their most recent plan was going to be to do a wedding venue. He told me that because of the We Are All Homeless project that his board had just met and decided to take those three acres and create a transitional housing project for people coming out of homelessness where they could stay in these units for up to two years, rebuild their lives. And so I was stunned. That's the first time anything like that had happened. But the kicker was at the very end, he told me that they were going to name this three-acre project in honor of my mom. Wow. And I kind of lost it. And, um, and, and so from a, it's, it's partially from a personal, selfish perspective. But for me, that was in a strange way. You know, I'm always asking people, what is home? You've been at those workshops mm -hmm. where we ask kids, 
what is home? I've got thousands of answers to that question, what is home? And for me, home has always been about safety, and it's been about the smell of my mom's cooking, Mm -hmm. the sound of her voice. And for this project to kind of come full circle, and for this piece of property, um, this little homeless village, they're calling it uh, Dorothy's Village. And for that to happen and to be named after my mom was... uh, it was uh, unexpected and so gratifying. And I feel absolutely grateful for the chance to have that kind of impact. And then personally, I just feel so, uh, it's just so rewarding to have mom's name be attached to this. That is so powerful. Wow. Um, wow. <laughs> so you graduated in May 2011 from the University of Texas at Dallas with an MFA in arts and technology and started teaching advertising design at TCU along with other universities eventually landing at SMU. So why are you teaching at SMU and like why teaching in general I guess? I I think that some of this has to do with being the oldest of eight kids. Like being a big brother is sort of in my DNA mm-hmm. and teaching, um, you know, when I ran the ad agency, being a creative director, mentoring young art directors and writers has been just part of my life. And I feel like mentoring is in my blood and coaching and helping and encouraging So teaching was something I did off and on. As long as I was a professional, I found adjunct spots to teach. And TCU was one of the ones that I did right before I graduated uh, grad school. And it just so happened that I thought, wow, I could teach full time. SMU happened to have an opening. And I applied. And it worked out. And Next thing I knew, eight years went by, and now I've been a professor here for quite a while. And, um, you know, teaching's the best gig in the world for me. It is a chance to help and encourage, and I get inspired every single day by the work you guys do and the kinds of things that I get to witness as students find their passion, the fire gets lit, all of that sort of thing. So it's the best gig in the world. What have you enjoyed most about your teaching career at Meadows? Getting to know the students and watching them blossom. Um, As you know, I have former students working at the greatest agencies in the world all over the place. We take a trip every spring to New York City, and it is very common to see our former students leading the tours at these various agencies. Some of them have won big-time advertising awards. Um, So for me, it's really about watching the students come alive and go out there and make a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. If you could go back in time and give your younger college freshman self um, the best advice for the future, what would that advice be? Be bold. Do not worry so much about everything. Just be bold, be yourself, and fail. Make mistakes. All of that is okay. What do you have left to tackle that might shock your students and peers? (laughs) I don't know if I could shock my students any more than I already do. Um, I think that 
I certainly have a very long list of things uh, coming up for We Are All Homeless. I don't know, know if you even know this, but on November 2nd, we're going to do a march across SMU's campus wow. kicking off homecoming week, um, a march called Home is a Journey. And the goal is to have a thousand plus people holding homeless signs Ooh. walking from Doak Walker Plaza to Dallas Hall. More on that to come. But uh, I'd, I'd say the other bigger uh, projects that are on my list that I'm hoping to make happen in the next few years would be pitching a TV series as a follow-up to the documentary Signs of Humanity, um, doing two additional documentaries, one about Eddie Dunn in Philadelphia, who I think is an amazing study, and another man named Chris Pruitt in Lansing, Michigan, who calls himself the happiest homeless person in Lansing. <laughs> Um, you know, I'm working on a book, which I hope to finish soon. Um, but those kinds of projects for me are the things that are really front and center and that I'm really trying to bring some attention to right now. As you know, I try to engage my students when I can to help volunteer. You'll be volunteering on November 2nd, hopefully. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I try to involve them when I can. I bring this project into the classroom, especially into the Introduction to Creativity class. And we talk about their projections about homeless people. We talk about which of the signs they feel drawn to and those sorts of things. So I love the way that the, these two things are really connected, teaching and we are all homeless. Absolutely. So based on working with people from all walks of life and situations, what is the motto that you stand by that keeps it all in perspective? There's a quote, which I should have written down, which I will try to remember. <laughs> um, and it goes, I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, service was joy. Oh, wow. So that is probably the quote for me that I feel like is when I'm down, when I'm feeling uh, sorry for myself, whatever the thing might be, um, I remember how grateful I am that I have this project to inform my day, to ground me in gratitude, which is it's shocking how quickly that changes my outlook when I'm, you know, bitching about Wi-Fi service or traffic or whatever, whatever first world problems I might have. I'm just shocked at how quickly that grounds me and helps me to reconnect with the, the, the influence that I know I have in trying to get other people to remember how grateful they might be as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably the single greatest thing about this project is how much it has grounded me in gratitude. Absolutely. What do you see as the future for We Are All Homeless besides the walk and everything? Well, I think if we can produce more of this content, I think a TV series would be a huge way to get the, the messages and the stories of these folks out to more people. I hope that at some point people with more organizational skills than me will <laughs> help to turn this into a full-fledged, it's already a nonprofit right now, but I'd love to make that a more impactful nonprofit and not just raise money for the content projects that I have in mind, but to also find ways to give, you know, overflow to homeless organizations. And there's so many beautiful people in this country doing 
crazy cool projects related to homelessness. Well, thank you so much, Willie. I know that your story has impacted so many people throughout the We Are All Homeless campaign, as well as your students being one. I know I can say that. Um, and I hope that um, your career in We Are All Homeless will continue to affect people for a long time. Thank you so much. I appreciate you taking time out to interview me, Meredith. Absolutely. Happy to. It's an honor. <laughs>